Welcome to Career Catalyst, a podcast that focuses on the gap between career planning and job searching advice. There are plenty of great sources for understanding how to handle job interviews, create resumes, or how to network. But this podcast focuses on the important topic of what people actually do and what paths they have taken in their career journeys. On this episode, as we kick off our new discussions with new guests in season three, I'm talking to someone I've known my whole life. She is my cousin, but we're talking to Amanda Geddes. She is the executive dean of urban agriculture at the Olive Harvey College in Chicago. She's got a great career story that started off in environmental sciences, moved into the public sector, and then she kind of combined those two backgrounds and went into this role at the college. Not only is she helping build a curriculum around the broader spectrum of urban agriculture, but she's also one of the foremost kind of individuals in the education space building programs around degrees around the cannabis topic. And certainly an interesting topic. She's got some very interesting perspective and I'm excited for you guys to hear what she has to say. So here's Amanda and I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. So before we get into the actual interview here, do you want to give us uh, kind of a quick intro of who you are, what you do, where you're at? Sure, sure. So my name is Amanda Geddes. Um, I'm actually Todd's little cousin. I live on (laughs) the south side of Chicago with my husband, who is a firefighter, and my four children, who my youngest is turning two tomorrow. I work at Olive Harvey College, which is one of the city colleges of Chicago, community college on the southeast side. Um, And I'm the executive dean of urban agriculture, of the new urban agriculture department. Very cool. And we're going to get into that in a couple minutes because I think that's there's some really cool kind of components of that story. So but let's let's get into the career. Right. So we won't go down, you know, into the history of the fact that we're cousins and and all that fun stuff. But for the sake of, um, you know, kind of making sure like, you know, we really get into the kind of how you got to where you're at. Where did you start out? So where did you go to school and what was your degree in? So I actually went to Purdue University and it took me a minute to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. But I did graduate with a bachelor's of science from the College of Agriculture um, and natural resources and environmental science. So it's kind of funny how life comes full circle. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Because you you didn't start out in, well, you, you kind of did, if I remember it all correctly, but what, what was your first job out of school? I was an environmental scientist for what was then um, MWH Global, now Stantec, but it was in a, an engineering and environmental consulting firm that um, I was able to be a field scientist. And so what that meant was that I went all over the United States, really testing soil, testing air. Uh, testing for phosphorus, wearing metal suits and working with drillers. Like it was, it was a really cool experience and a great out of uh, college job. And did you, I mean, what's curious about that is, did you, did you know that's what you would be doing or did you kind of figure that out after you got the degree? I mean, how did, how did you connect those dots as a 21, 22 year old? So we had a consultant come into class, you know, so as now looking back, I realized the value of those kind of career classes in college and really networking and um, listening to when people come in and tell you about different careers. And so that's how I found out about environmental consulting. Very cool. So 
so and and just maybe take a quick step back. I mean, when you went into school, this isn't really what you thought you would be doing. So what did you think you were going to be doing when you started at Purdue? So I thought I was going to do child development. I had convinced myself that um, I was going to work with kids in a school and quickly realized that that was not my calling. And while I love my own children, um, I'm very happy that they go to school and someone else teaches them. So <laughs> everything worked out. <laughs> very nice. All right. So, so you, you've gotten into the environmental sciences. You're fresh out of school. You're flying all over the country. You're doing all these cool things where you're taking soil samples and working. And you're working on a lot of different types of projects, right? It wasn't simply just industrial projects. You, you did some like agriculture projects and things like that, correct? Yeah. And one of them, so we did a lot of remediation. And so that's what actually led me to my second part of my career was working for the public sector because we worked on a brownfield on a forest preserve um, in the suburbs. And it really opened my eyes to local government. It opened up my eyes to the power of, um, you know, remediation and turning it into a public, you know, good. Can you so can you explain that a little bit more? Because I'm not quite sure I fully understand like that. But like when you say like turning remediation into a public good, like what exactly what were some of the things that you were doing? So basically, you know, 50 years ago, we didn't have the same environmental laws. And so there was a lot of pollution. So, you know, with oil or with gasoline, um, for example, I worked on a site where there was a maintenance garage. And so back then, people didn't care about oil. They just dumped it and threw it in their, you know, 50-gallon bins and buried it. And so that was a lot of part of my job was working with contractors, working with um, construction crews and overseeing the removal of this uh, pollution. And then the county or the owner would then remediate it, which would mean to you know, test the soil, make sure it wasn't leaching into the water, test the air to make sure that the pollution wasn't coming off the soil. And so then the um, town could turn it into like a natural preserve. They could turn it into a golf course. They could turn it into a hiking. And so th that was that was like the really cool thing of watching the public sector turn these pollution sites into public space. Wow. Okay. So you've gone from the environmental science in the field to now you're working you're working for the actual public sector. So you are working for a county in this so in this job. So that was what I first started. I, I wanted to work for the county, um, but what I was able to do was pivot. I used a skill set that I had in the private sector. So I worked um, environmental health and safety, right? So every time I was on a construction site, I'm responsible for the safety. And so I turned that into, um, I got my certification. I became a certified um, safety specialist, and I got a job with the Department of Transportation as their safety administrator. Okay, cool. And so, you know, it's interesting, a lot of the people we've had on the on the podcast in the past, they have, you know, they've been in more of, you know, you, what you might call corporate type of America type of jobs, where a lot of times they talk about how different types of individuals, managers, senior leaders within their organizations, kind of help them understand or find the path. Who are some of those folks like at this moment where they're kind of helping you realize like, oh, I did this and I can go do that now? Or are you figuring it out on your own? 
So I think it was probably a little mix of column A and column B. I went and I started talking to different people in the public sector. So I I recognized that there was this um, whole side, the city government, uh, city managers, public works directors, um, you know, there's a whole ecosystem that runs behind small county cities, towns, uh, the works. And so that's what I did. I went and I did my research into what local government looked like so that I could find my place. Cool. So so you are kind of finding your way and and you're working you're working for a, the a county at this point. Right. So you've moved from a private sector, you moved to county. How long are you in that role and what was kind of the next step after that? So I was in the public sector for the Department of Transportation for three years. I was able to work across the city departments. And so what the operating departments all did was uh, roughly the same thing, right? And when it comes to health and safety. And so what we were able to do were, was consolidate trainings um, and create like a citywide operational uh, health and safety feel so that everybody kind of had the same concept and trainings. And so that was that was a really exciting part of being at the Department of Transportation. Um, and that led me to my role at Pace, a suburban bus company, where I was the manager of quality assurance and paratransit, which is, you know, that was a pretty heavy job. Hmm. So for for just so let me like connect the dots again. Right. So the Department of Transportation was with what? What was it with the county or which county? No, it was with the city of Chicago. Okay, so it was in the city of Chicago. Got it. And then Pace, just for anyone listening, is the public transportation of the suburban area around Chicago. Because you have the CTA, which is the city, and then Pace is everything else, right? Correct. In the six counties uh, around Chicago. Yep. So you're running health and safety across six, across the bus system that spans six counties roughly what, 4 million people? So honestly, that's where I pivoted. So I took my health and safety, right? I took my leadership. I took my experience in training across departments and I parlayed that into my first manager job because at the time I was still kind of that, um, you know, beginning stages of my career and I hadn't had that manager experience. And so that's what I was looking to do was to find a job where I could manage people. And so that's why I um, I was able to land a job in quality assurance with paratransit at Pace. Very, yeah, got it. So you so you, you kind of recognize, like you said, and, and how old are you, just, just do you mind, how old are you around this time? Is this mid, mid late 20s or are you into your 30s by now? I'm into my 30s. So I had had a couple kids, but I was still in my like early 30s. Got it. Yeah. And you, you kind of identify, you got to, you've got to build up the management experience. So you took this role to go pursue kind of this opportunity to manage people. How many people did you have on your team? I had six people. So they were all entry level. And then it was, you know, I was like a first level supervisor. So it was all very exciting for someone who, you know, had really been trying to get to that next uh, phase in their career. Very cool. So, so now you're at, you're at, you're at the transportation company. How long are you at the transportation company? And then what was, what came, like, what either, what was the progression through the transportation company? And then what happened after that? 
So this job really just gave me empathy for people. It helped me build my management skills as far as leading teams and, you know, just working across the system to solve problems. Uh, Quality assurance and paratransit, you know, you really can see the gamut of problems, um, but you also see the direct impact that this service has on people's lives. And so it really just, you know, makes you appreciate that while things are not perfect in government, they really are, you know, creating services for people that need them. So that job was really great in helping me, you know, learn empathy and uh, everything that goes with that. But what it also did was led me to Olive Harvey College because they, they had a they had a um, budget meeting. So I went to this budget meeting at this college where I had never been to before. And I walk in and I just fell in love with it. I was like, where am I right now? There was students, the energy, the people that work there. Um, it was a really, you know, kind of moving experience. And so then when I got home later that night, I looked it up and uh, lo and behold, they were hiring for a dean of transportation. So, <laughs> of course, I think that this is like God's calling and I'm going to get this job and everything's going to be perfect. Um So sadly, I did not get that job. And for two years, I really kind of, uh, you know, tried to figure out ways that I could work for Olive Harvey. And so I became a mentor. Um, I, you know, got involved with the community so that I can learn about the students and the community they serve. And when this position called Director of Strategic Initiatives came up, um, I applied and interviewed and I got that job. Wow. So what was what was the job called again? So this job was called the Director of Strategic Initiatives. Got it. Interesting. Okay, so let me go back real quick because this this is this is fascinating, right? <laughs> yeah. So you 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 are at a you're on this college campus, and for anyone who doesn't know, this is this Olive uh, Olive Harvey, right? Yes, Olive Harvey College. And it's it's on the south side of Chicago, kind of in the middle of the south side, right? No, actually, it's pretty far south. So it's like 103rd and Woodlawn. Okay, got so it. So east, yep, south and southeast. Got it. So it's, but it's, it's south side of Chicago and you're just there for kind of an event, really, right? Yes. And you're like, wow, this is super cool. And then you find a job and you don't get it, but then you're like, no, I am now going to go work there. And you figure out a way to get involved. You spend two years pursuing it. And then all of a sudden this role comes up and you go for it. Yes, exactly. Very cool. And so, so, so you got it. What was, what was there any uniqueness about them giving you that role or was it a pretty, like, was it a pretty smooth, like interview to, to job offer kind of situation? Well, funny enough, the Dean of transportation role came available again. Um, and they had an internal candidate that was a pretty strong candidate, but the HR director said, well, we'll let you interview too. So I interviewed for two jobs at the same time and ended up getting the director job. Wow. So, so not only do you, now do you accomplish this two-year you know, kind of pursuit, but you also, I assume this was another step up in the career, right? So you've kind of made, you're starting to make these kind of lever ups in your, in the roles and the titles and the, and the positions, correct? So actually, Todd, that is funny because, um, no, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. It was a 20% cut almost in, wow. um, salary. It was a cut from management. So I was no longer going to be managing people. Um, but what it was, was it was 15 minutes away from my house. 
It was a commute that worked better for my family. And then the woman that hired me was a brand new president. And I just basically fell in love with her and her leadership style and the way that she asked me to come was, I need a right-hand woman and we're going to change this college and we can do it together. And so I said, okay. (laughs) And and that's what I did. I took a 20% pay cut and um, started working for President Hollingsworth. (laughs) So, okay, let's, that, you know, so, so there's two things there, right? There's certainly the decision to kind of take a step back and like, be a part of this change effort, you know, certainly maybe some things in, in terms of lifestyle, you're not commuting across the city or something like that. You know, there's, there's probably some, some things like that, but there's also now this person. So let, let, can you talk about who this person is and, and the impact on your career? Yeah, no, she's been extremely impactful because I mean, just for the simple fact that I've worked at Olive Harvey College now for three years, and this is my third position um, underneath President Hollingsworth. And she's just really given myself and my team and the team that I work with at Olive Harvey the chance to bloom and to have an idea and to run with it. Um, and so it's really kind of given us all this validation to to be able to succeed. Wow. And and so and she she hired you into this director role, but you have since then turned in, you've kind of created a new role from that. And I assume she has had a lot to do with how that's been kind of cultivated and evolved, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, when I started, I was the director. um, And then about a year and a half into that, she decided with along with her cabinet, um, to change that into executive director. So that meant that now I had management experience because I was pulling in other departments. So I, you know, supervised like four other departments, um, we built a strategic plan. We had annual planning. I was part of the budget process. Um, and I really was able to be part of all these great initiatives. And one of them was cannabis. And so what happened was our faculty asked if we could grow cannabis on site because small unknown fact, Olive Harvey College sits on 67 acres and it's actually a gorgeous campus. And we have the only wetland in the city of Chicago on our campus. So it's just like beautiful. But um, so anyways, obviously we couldn't do that. But what it did lead to was recognizing this industry that was coming on board, um, you know, that had really significantly disenfranchised communities. It was rooted in racist like undertones in America. And we, we saw this opportunity to harness the funding that was becoming available because of cannabis and turn it into a program that could train individuals and prepare individuals to have their own businesses, to work in the space, to have their records expunged, um, to create ancillary businesses. And so that's what we've been doing. Uh, We actually just had our very, our our second year anniversary for our um, cannabis advisory council meetings. And so that was pretty cool to to reach that two-year mark. So it starts by saying, the faculty saying, can we grow it as part of research or part of our curriculum, correct? Yes. And that you were told no by the school or by the by the city or who said no? Um, the school, the, the city colleges. So basically what we found out was the schools that receive federal funding 
um, still fall underneath the Drug Free Act. And so it was um, very much a learning experience to learn that while the state was making it legal, it was very much still illegal on the federal level. And, you know, we received like 90% Pell Grant. And so we, there was no way we were jeopardizing federal funding. Um, and so we really worked um, around that and that we determined you can educate individuals, you can train them. We got our basic certificate financially aid eligible, so you can use your VA benefits um, and get Pell Grant money to, for the training as long as you're not actually touching the plant on campus. But from there, you created, but you then uh, subsequently created a full program that is you know, now a major, right? At, at the school? Yeah. So we have a, ba a basic certificate in dispensary operations, which teaches, you know, everything from the plant to um, the law. We have a huge community advocacy role. Um, I feel like at our college is because we truly are like the socially, social applicant, social equity applicant um, on the Southeast side. And so we really love to talk about cannabis in a way that highlights the negativeness and why the plant was um, illegal in the first place in America and how the racist undertones are still kind of part of that industry. And you see a lot of the industry now white and male and, um, you know, black men are imprisoned for the same thing. And so it's given Olive Harvey College a chance to really um, be a voice in that sector. So let's let me let me kind of just get into this a little bit now, right? Because this is what you're doing today, correct? Right? And you've been doing it for two, three years yes. now? I've been at Ally Harvey for three years, but I was, so we just got the Department of Urban Agriculture up and going in May. And so I was named the executive dean uh, in June. Got it. Congratulations again on that. Thank you. <laughs> so what was, I mean, maybe for you, we'll start with you personally and then maybe go to the, the college, but like, was this more of an opportunistic thing or did you and like maybe this president uh, Hollingsworth, like, was it, was there also like any factors kind of to, you know, this idea that, like you said, like there's this really interesting phenomenon with cannabis in the sense that it, it, you know, has this kind of negative stigma, stigma, um, and, and, you know, you have this very interesting race dynamic you just talked about in terms of African-American men. There's a lot of African-American men in prison because of it, but all of a sudden it's becoming legal and you have a bunch of white, you know, males profiting from it. What were, what were the motivations? Like, what would you say, like the, like the motivations to really trigger this outside of the faculty asking if they could start to maybe grow it as part of their research programs and things like that? Was it more personal or was it? Was it more external based on what you and the university were seeing? I think it was both, right? Like, I think I really found my calling. You know, I have always been a proponent of cannabis. I have, um, you know, used cannabis through college and, uh, you know, basically my whole adult life to manage stress, anxiety, have fun, you know, the works. And so when I saw this opportunity to, create a space at Olive Harvey that could boost enrollment, that could, um, you know, bring funding to the college and then also, you know, create space for this very important conversation. It was a win-win. And I think that was the reason why, 
my boss let me kind of go with this is because I really took it and ran with it. And she kind of gave me that space to do it. Wow. So here you are today. You're the executive dean of, of a program that three years ago, four years ago, people would have been like, wait a second, we're teaching kids how to grow pot? Like what? Like what? Like what is it like? I mean, maybe the best way to ask that question is, you know, if you're talking to someone, especially from a state that hasn't legalized it, like, how do you explain that to someone? You know, you know, I still get that. I went to a conference in Arizona just a couple of weeks ago and talked to a, a peer of mine, um, but from Indiana. And he basically just brushed me off as, oh, God, the hippies talking about weed. And, you know, I just had to laugh because it's a billion dollar industry. And anybody that, you know, thinks that this is going away is is not paying attention. And so. Um, so it doesn't bother me anymore if somebody doesn't think it's cool because there's lots of people who do think it's cool. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, with that said, I mean, what are you like when, when you are working with the students, I mean, do you, can you talk about like how you, you work with the students on how to navigate that? I mean, cause that, I imagine that's a, a super important factor if you're going to go off and try to build a career in this industry that, is probably really realistically way more than a billion dollars, right? I mean, that's a billion dollars of legitimate industry kind of economics, but there's got to be still so much in the, you know, what would be deemed the illegitimate kind of economy of, of, of you know, marijuana or cannabis, correct? Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, yes, honestly, there <laughs> is a very big value out there. So what I we love working with our students because we, we have the ability to kind of harness their energy and excitement around learning about cannabis and turning that into a career, right? So we work with them on what they're currently doing and how they could pivot into the cannabis space. We work with their strengths um, and even, you know, their background. Is the dispensary the best for you if you have a background? Probably not. You know, maybe we should look into um, a different part of the industry for you. And so that's where we're really trying to be um, realistic with our students, because while expungement is out there and while, um, you know, the legal system is doing their best, it's not perfect. And so we are there for our students to help them in whatever they want to be successful at. So it's not our role to tell them you know, what to do. It's our role to basically elevate them and uh, give them the space to be able to do it. Got it. And this is certainly a career kind of orientated conversation. What are some of, I mean, you've said them a few times, like getting into dispensary or getting in growing, but can you, like, if, if you were to go into your, if you're an 18 year old or maybe I guess any age person, and you were to go into one of your programs at Olive Harvey, like what, what are the, what are the career outcomes and like, what are people actually doing with some of these degrees? So if you can think of like the supply chain, so from anything from growing to processing, to packaging, to transportation, to retail, to destroying, that would be considered the plant touching opportunity. So then any kind of position within that supply chain, be it a trimmer to the manager to, you know, the uh, greenhouse production supervisor. So those are all considered plant touching. So at Olive Harvey, we do 
um, two specific plant touching in dispensary operations and then our processing uh, technician. And so that one's super focused on individuals that want to work in a grow house or process or extract, infuse, um, because, you know, edibles are like a huge portion of the uh, market right now. But then there's this, what's called the ancillary businesses. And so that's any business that touches cannabis. So marketing, um, finance, law, legal, compliance, um, you know, employment services. So everything that, um, and that's what we call the ancillary businesses. So Olive Harvey has a lot of continuing education classes around that. We have a eight week start your own business in cannabis. And so I actually took that class. It's um, ran by my very good friend, Shawnee Williams with um, Illinois Equity Staffing. And that was a great class for like a person that wants to start their own business in the cannabis space because it's very compliance uh, regulated. There's a lot of laws um, around starting a business. And so it's really important that you know what you're doing when you when you start off. Got it. And just curious, and partly because I've spent most of my career in the retail space, how how similar would would a retail like how similar is this this dispensary and dispensary operation side of the business? How similar that is that to like a retail career, like a like someone who worked at a Target or someone that's worked at you know kind of a, a, a you know a Nordstrom or a Walgreens or something like that, understanding where, you know, where to put your stores, how to run your stores, like, is it similar or is it very different just because of the regulations and things like that? No, it's extremely so similar. It's a, it's a CPG company, right? Like, so if you have CPG experience, you can pivot into cannabis. Um, it is highly regulated. So having compliance background is a plus, but as far as the retail portion, that is, you know, part of our training is the customer service part. Because your bud, your bud tenders, they're what they're called, or patient care specialists, or whatever that kind of first person is, their job is to basically, you know, tell you the benefits of cannabis um, and how it can help with what you're looking for. It's not all about just getting the highest THC that you can find in a plant and then moving on. You know, there's actually like a ton of medicinal benefits. There's what's called the entourage effect. And so having like a person that knows what they're talking about will actually make your experience and your purchase much more relevant mm. to your life. And let's talk a little bit about the fact you mentioned this kind of, you know, this issue and anyone who follows the cannabis industry, like there is a very interesting problem right now because it's, it's a very, um, uh, it, it's, 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 it's a great kind of, uh, kind of balance between the kind of federal and state policies of our of our country, right? Because you have states saying we're legalizing it, but you still don't have fully legal, you know, kind of full legalization at the federal level. How is that like? How does that make it interesting from a kind of policy and restriction standpoint? Well, that's a great question because honestly, what the state did was write into the law that community colleges had the right to grow cannabis plants, THC plants, and train individuals, which is what we saw as an opportunity for Olive Harvey because there was funding attached. There was um, a passage in the bill that said uh, companies had to donate to a social equity inclusion plan, and one of those was a community college option. So that's kind of what led us down the road to apply for what they call the vocational pilot license. And basically it gives this, you know, community college the right to grow cannabis. 
However, the state, you know, to their credit, didn't probably know what they were doing in a sense and were trying to, you know, implement a program or put forth a program without actually thinking about implementing it. And so because we can't receive federal funding or because, you know, we receive federal funding, we can't grow cannabis on site. And so what that does is that it forces the college to partner with a organization um, to grow the actual plant. And so that's where Olive Harvey is right now. We have a partner and now we're just working on funding yet another location so that we can grow THC plants. Got it. Okay. So all very fascinating things. Um, uh, what, you know, when you, when you think about, you know, the, this, you, you mentioned the supply chain, right? There's sort of the hands on the plants and then there's the, the kind of distribution side of it. Is all of this so far in the U.S., and this might just be personal curiosity, but like I think when you talk about the careers that someone might develop, you know, going through a program like yours, is all of it within the U.S.? So we've, are we creating kind of a industry that now is one of the rare situations where the entire supply chain might all be within the United States? Well, as of right now, yes, because it can't cross state lines. So right now it's state by state. Um you know, once the federal it is federally legal, then I'm sure it will become more of a nation industry. But no, we are by far not the only nation that is growing cannabis or, you know, recognizing uh, the industry. And so I'm not sure what it'll look like for on the global scale, but there are plenty of countries out there that are much more advanced than we are. Sure. But but at least from a from a being kind of a from a U.S. centric perspective today, not only is that supply chain kind of wholly encompassed within the United States, but it's wholly encompassed within a state. Yes. So in some ways, a lot of this cannabis industry is is like generating a lot of opportunity within these states to create jobs, create careers, that kind of stuff, right? So yes, it is definitely state-centric. Um, the thing that we're seeing in Chicago is that the production jobs, the cultivation jobs, um, possibly you know the, the first entry into the space job is down south where space is bigger. They're not going to be paying for you know city prices to have these huge cultivation centers. And so that's where we're finding right now is like the disconnect between um, opportunities at a scale that you know can to help the workforce and the fact that down south they're looking for a workforce. So we're trying to figure that out. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and when you say down south, do you mean down south in the state of Illinois or down south in the country? Down south in the state of Illinois. So, you know, anything past like Kankakee and, and further south is where you're going to start seeing the bigger cultivation sites. Yep. Yep. Okay. Um, very interesting. Okay. So I guess as a final question in that, in that regard, you know, kind of, you know, related to both what you're doing as the leader of these, this, this program at Olive Harvey, but also for, for anyone pursuing this, um, is, is what, you know, like, what is the, like, what, what advice do you have for someone who's, 
saying, ah, oh, that's interesting to me. I'd love to pursue a career in that. Like, how would you say to someone like, this is how you're going to vet this out? So I would say, you know, start networking. It's really important to get involved with some organizations that are in the space. Volunteer your time. Um, come to a community college like myself. Um, there's other community colleges around Illinois. Check out their programs. Um, you know, really kind of learn about the uh, industry. Don't just, you know, there's a lot of people out there that like smoking weed and think they want to work in the industry. And then there's people that actually want to work in the industry. So I would say, ask yourself that if, you know, which person are you? Um, but then really, you know, get involved. There's a organization called Illinois Women in Cannabis, which has been a wonderful resource. Um, definitely check out, you know, Olive Harvey College programs. They have, you know, things about infusion and marketing. And if you have a small business that you're interested in elevating, if you're interested in community advocacy, you know, we're trying to teach our students how to be advocates for themselves and for their community, because that is why we're the urban agriculture department. We're not just, you know, cannabis is kind of the hook that gets students in. Cannabis is the funding that has helped our program. But we are interested in, you know, restoring what are known as food deserts, but which is actually not a nice thing to say because deserts are beautiful. Um, we're calling them food apartheid, you know, so that we can uh, teach communities how to grow their own food if they live in a food apartheid. Got it. So the program actually, I mean, we've talked now for quite a while on, on, the, on the cannabis side, which is certainly the, you know, popular kind of like interesting thing, but you guys are doing a lot of other work, right? So um, it, it is about developing agriculture within the urban environment overall. Yes, absolutely. So we're mm -hmm. building a greenhouse on site and we're growing all kinds of plants, including hemp um, for our students, because that is something that we can do on site as if it has low THC. But yeah, we're really supposed to be a resource to the community to show, you know, the benefits of urban agriculture and how they can bring it into their own lives. And what do you think is the future of just the broad urban ag agriculture? Because you read the stories about the vertical farms and, and some of these like container farms and like how they're trying to minimize, like kind of not minimize, but like miniaturize the farm to kind of create more local kind of ecosystems? I mean, what, what do you think the future looks like in that space? I mean, I think that is the future. I think that that's exactly what's going to happen and what we need to, you know, educate our communities on how they can get involved. I think technology is going to be a huge part of that. And so, you know, teaching the communities how to access technology, how to, um, you know, get the resources that are out there. But I, I do see that as like a very hyper local focus and, um, you know, really, truly a grassroots focus. Got it. And, and I know I said there was one last question, but I, I got to ask one more question. How many colleges are doing this? Is this still pretty new or are, are more colleges like if you're a young person, you're going to find this at a lot of colleges or are they still pretty rare to kind of have both the, the kind of high, like kind of higher level, kind of broad urban agriculture kind of degree or, or focus or concentrations, and then kind of a, as a step kind of into a more focused area, 
on the cannabis side, how many universities or colleges are, are, are building the curriculum around the, the cannabis industry? Well, it's definitely getting a lot more popular, right? Like, so we were just speakers at the Cannabis Research Institute, which is out of Colorado State Pueblo. So, you know, across the country, there are four-year universities and two-year community colleges working together. Um, and even, you know, with doctoral degrees, there's a college in New Jersey that has um, a program specific to PhD um, doctors for so that they can learn about this plant. So there's definitely a lot more colleges than there were two years ago. Um, but it, it's still so it, it's it's there, but it's just not as probably rampant as you would see, you know, a business class. Sure, sure. Okay, so let's switch back to you. So thank you so much for that. That that's super helpful and, and certainly a little bit of a different angle than what we've had. But it was exciting to have you on for those two reasons. One that you work you work in the um, you know kind of education space, but then also that you 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 have a lot to do with this urban agriculture and and you know you've had you've spent a lot of time um, with some of these cannabis programs as well. So thank you for that. But let's go back to you. Um, so talking about, you know, we've kind of gone through your journey, right? And you've talked about um, this President Hollingsworth. And, and, you know, one of the questions that, I, you know, I, I like to talk uh, or ask, you know, people that have come on the show is kind of around like mentors or really influential people in your in your career. I mean, certainly we could talk about a little bit more about President Hollingsworth, but are there other people in your in your career journey that you have said, you know, this this individual you know, how did you find them and what did they do for you? Like how important was that and how you've navigated through some of these career pivots throughout the last, you know, 15 years or so? No, there was a woman that um, I worked for right when I started with the Department of Transportation with the city of Chicago. Um, it was my very first like big public job. I was so excited. Um, I was, I was going to work for the city of Chicago. You know, I died and gone to heaven and um, I worked for this woman who was amazing. You know, she had four children. She had worked her way up the ladder. She was an amazing boss, a fearless leader. And I was just so excited to work for her. And um, I think I was there for three months. No, not even. Maybe maybe a month and a half. And found out that I was pregnant with my first uh, child and, you know, basically had what every young woman thinks is, what the heck am I going to do? I just got this job. You know, you can't, you can't get a job and then immediately get pregnant. You don't even qualify for FMLA at that point. Um, and so I went and I spoke to Leah and I told her, and, you know, she just said, oh my goodness, congratulations. And she gave me a hug. And, and what she cared about was, was I okay? You know, was I upset? Like, was I okay with the baby? Was this something that I was wanting? And, um, and that's the angle that she came at, not like, oh my gosh, you just ruined your chances at this job. And so that I, I just fell in love with her even more. And so I was very excited to work for her. She gave me, um, you know, my leave that she didn't have to, but she approved it. And I was able to take a maternity leave. Um, and so, yeah, so that really, she was really a trailblazer for me because it showed me that I could be a mom and I could be a leader in the space. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, along those lines, right. I mean, that's, that's fascinating, right? Like finding an empathetic leader who can really embrace you and, and really trigger the good things that you have to offer and not feel like you're holding yourself back because you're making very human decisions about who you want to be as a human being. 
not just who you want to be as a professional, right? Right, right. Um, what other moments in your career would you say, like, were there like a tough moment where you had to kind of approach a tough decision or there was kind of a so, sort of a situation that really made you kind of have to kind of weigh some some serious considerations? Like, can you talk about a moment and like what happened and then maybe what came of it? Sure. Um I think a really pivotal moment in my life was I was studying, I was still an environmental scientist. I was at my first job at the engineering firm and all the people my level were applying for what was called the lead exam. So it was an environmental design kind of um, designation, right? So it was all about sustainability, architecture, um, and everybody was like studying and taking the test and getting certified. And I didn't take it serious enough. And I took the test and I failed. And it was pretty embarrassing, you know, like to be the person that came back and was like, oh, I don't actually have it. So that was like a really pivotal moment for me where I realized I better start focusing on what I wanted as opposed to just kind of like parlaying through life. So. I went back and I, and this is, you know, I went and talked to you about getting a master's and you gave me the advice that I, you know, probably should do business, which in hindsight, you know, I probably should have, but I did public administration. (laughs) (laughs) So I never thought I'd tell you that. Uh, I appreciate it. And, and I get to publish it on the internet now. So (laughs) (laughs) it's my, my MPA has done me well for my career, but you know, um, I also see the benefits to having a yeah. business degree yeah. for sure. Um, and you got that MPA at DePaul? Where, where was it at? Um, Illinois Institute of Technology. Oh, yeah, so, right. so uh, yes, right. Stewart, yes, Stewart School of Business downtown. And, um, you know, I, I went at night while I was still working and it was really hard to get that first job um, in the public sector. And so, I was fortunate to where, you know, I was getting married and able to quit my job. And that's when I became like an unpaid intern Mm. for about six months. And that's what really kind of helped me get my foot in the door. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, cool. And I appreciate that. You know, I appreciate the, the, the call. No, I remember those conversations for sure. Um, so, all right. So, Tough moment, certainly. I mean, again, I think a great example of your resilience. I mean, you've talked now a couple of times of moments where, you know, maybe there was some failure and you just kind of stuck with it. And I think that's always such an important aspect of, of a career, right? Like people that don't have that resilience or that people, you know, um, you know, have that kind of stick to if you will, or, or, or you, you know, what creates the mental toughness is, is what really helps people through. So I, I think that's a great example of it. Having people around you um, that kind of help you through too is, is super important as well. Um, you know, when you think about success, right? So, you know, you're certainly very successful now. You, you've got this really cool situation where you're kind of on the leading edge of, of, of an industry. Um, you're doing it in a way that you're impacting so many different individuals and, and how their, their lives will play out. How would you say you look at success today and how is that different than how you looked at success or how you would have defined success as a 22 or 23 year old? So I think that as a 22 or 23 year old, you know, I didn't even understand what success could look like. And so 
um, you know, I thought if I had a job and I could pay my bills, that that was basically, you know, what I would be happy with. So I feel like I didn't really have this drive when I was 22 that I have today. But I mean, I can say that success looks different to me than it did two years ago. I feel like the pandemic really shed a light on two priorities, on two, um, you know, that feeling of true work-life balance. Um, and so, so today, my, my vision of success is even different than it was two years ago. Wow. And how, I mean, what, how would you define, like, what would you say is your definition of success today then? I would say if I can parent without, you know, raising my voice, I would say that that's successful. I would say <laughs> that if I can go to work that, and, yeah. right? Like, I mean, yeah. it, now it's, that is really important to me to, to make sure that I'm present for my children as much as I'm present at my job. So what I had been finding was that that balance wasn't there and that my family was kind of getting the brunt of me as opposed to like the best of me. Um, and so that was like a lot to deal with too, right? You can, how much can you really, how much energy can you exert um, without it, you know, defining your, your personal life? So, so that's been a journey for me. That's what's helped define a different type of success. You know, I can still be successful but also show up for my family in a way that, you know, was hard to do when everything is um, melded together during a pandemic. (laughs) For sure. I mean, we haven't even really talked about that. I mean, what did the pandemic, how did the pandemic change your kind of relationship with your career? It has been amazing for my career in the way that it's opened up so many doors, right? Like, now you can have meetings with anybody at the click of a button, essentially. You don't have to, you know, convince somebody to drive to the south side of Chicago. And so for that, I, I mean, that's just been totally life-changing in the way that you can um, do business. And so, so for that, that's been great. But it's also, you know, you plan your life by the minute now, and, and that can get exhausting. <laughs> True. So... You know, do you want to, do you mind maybe giving your personal perspective on, you know, maybe we could talk about it within the education space, or we can talk about it in in the general professional space. What do you think is lasting? Like, what do you think happened in the last 18 months, 24 months that we all kind of learned how to use Zoom or Teams or something that like now we're going to say, you know what, even if we can go back to offices or classrooms, like this is just going to stay as is because we, we think it's probably better in general. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that as a like from a personal point of view that I see the benefits of, you know, this kind of flexible remote space, um, you know, with in person as needed. But, you know, it's been pretty proven that somebody can be successful on their own schedule. You know, they don't have to clock in at eight to five and, you know, show up to this cubicle every single day to be productive. And so I don't think that's going to go anywhere. I think we have all decided that, you know, enough's enough and that we're going to kind of take control back. Um, and so that is definitely been exciting to see because, you know, just as a working mom, it, there's a lot that you have to juggle and being able to like go get your kid from school is a pretty cool thing and still be able to run a meeting when you get back. Yeah. Very cool. All right. 
So this, this is my last question. Um, and again, it's certainly one of my favorite questions here. Um, ask it to everybody. Um, but if you can get into your DeLorean, right, you can go back into the future and you can have a conversation with 22-year-old Amanda, 23-year-old Amanda. Like, what are two or three of the things that you're going to tell her about? Like, what, what, are you, what would you say? Like, hey, watch out for this. Or, you know, you might want to really think about this. And I know you kind of answered that in the success question. But, you know, overall, like, how, how would you give yourself advice if you could go back and talk to your 22-year-old self? I would tell myself to pay attention a little bit more. Um, I think that, you know, I was living in a, a daydream world or whatever, but I would say get involved. Um, you know, I kick myself to this day about not getting more involved in college, um, in clubs and, you know, the actual kind of, um, activities that they put on because those are all really important. It helps, you know, build you, it helps build your network. It helps open up your eyes to different opportunities. And so, that's definitely something I would say is that I wish I would have networked more and, um, you know, kind of participated more on both a political level uh, and a, a professional level. I think it, it makes you a great, well-rounded person. And if you're thinking about this, like for anyone who might be right out of school, what would be some ways that you could say, well, if I wasn't involved in the clubs or something in college, there's plenty of ways to get involved in your communities or in your cities outside of college. Do you have any advice on where people could look to kind of get involved if they weren't necessarily involved in college? Yes, I would definitely say, you know, look at your professional um, associations, look within your own organization for like mentoring. Um, one of my mentors said, learn how to play golf. So that is something that um, I've been doing and as actually an activity with my husband. <laughs> So that we can, you know, have something to do that isn't drinking, you know, yeah. because I feel like that is a pretty big um, society uh, acceptable way to live. And I have found that that doesn't work for me anymore. And so I had to find new activities to do that wasn't just, you know, sitting around drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that sitting around on the back patio. Versus going and doing something, right? Well, I mean, if you can sit there and have like an awesome conversation, like that's one thing, but um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With you. That's cool. All right. Well, Amanda, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. Is there any other comments or is there, is there anything about your career or some of the things that you're learning now, especially working with a lot of young people that you would say is kind of as a last comment to, to, to people as they, they think about their career journeys? I would just say, you know, I met somebody that had reached out to me. Um, she had said, you know, I saw you present at this conference and I just really wanted to meet you and I would just love to talk to you. And that was really pretty cool for me because that was probably my first person that had reached out to me um, for some sort of something that I could do. And so it made me realize that, you know, all these women and all these people that have helped me along the way in my career, now is my time to reach back and help others, you know, and um, provide those connections. And so I'm going to become a mentor with the Illinois Women in Cannabis. Um, but I would just say, you know, get involved. That to me has been the most powerful um, motivator and impact in my career. Got it. And 
I guess with that, I mean, what's the easiest way for people maybe to find you? Is it LinkedIn? Is it other ways that they can reach out to you to kind of learn more about what you're doing and get involved with you? Yeah, definitely. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, that's a great uh, place to find me. It's Amanda Geddes, G-E-T-T-E-S. Um, or, you know, research Olive Harvey College and learn about our cannabis program and find out if that's something you're interested in. I, I highly recommend that as well. Awesome. Well, hey, Amanda, I appreciate you coming on our show. I think that's another great example of you spending your time kind of sharing what you do and what you what you love doing right now. So but I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming on Career Catalyst. Thank you so much, Todd. I was so honored to be asked. So I'm definitely going to be um, pretty hot commodity amongst the cousin conversation, I think. <laughs> I won't be at a Thanksgiving, but I will make sure this gets out before Thanksgiving so that everyone can listen to it. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. So I, I think it was a great conversation. Um, you know, certainly a little bit of a different, uh, I think, path than what we're normally talking to, who we're normally talking to on Career Catalyst. So I'm excited. I think it's a good start to some of the new guests we've got coming down the path here in um, season three. You know, I, I really appreciate Amanda for, you know, a lot of things, but, you know, a couple of things that really came out in the discussion to me, you know, she was, she's been a very resourceful person, right? Like she, she's found people that she can rely on that helped her think about what her next steps can be. Um, you know, she's made these pivots in a way that's kind of helped her set up future opportunities. So she went from environmental science and then she kind of pivoted into the public sector. And then that, you know, that, that job at the Department of Transportation for Chicago kind of set her up for a job at, um, you know, the college. So, I, I, you know, I think, the, you know, the resourcefulness is, is, is always a great thing to kind of see and learn. But on top of it, you know, I think there's a resiliency there, right? You know, she talked about not getting a job and then kind of sticking with it for two years and eventually getting a, a different job. And what that job meant was it kind of set her up to be on the forefront of both the urban agriculture and this this cannabis industry. So, um, you know, really great stuff. And if you like what you heard, I think we've got lots of great conversations. So we've got a, we've got two previous seasons you can go back and listen to. Um, check them out. They're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And also, if you want to hear about some of our future guests as we as we talk to more people every week, you can follow us on uh, Instagram, Career Catalyst Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, uh, Career Catalyst Podcast. Um, and you can also follow me on uh, LinkedIn. I talk about the, the podcast quite frequently. So if you follow me at Todd Starsevich um, on LinkedIn, easy to find. Um, I post about it whenever we release a new episode. So certainly places you can find us. Um, please, you know, I hope you enjoyed today's uh, today's conversation. And if you did, this is the first time you're listening, please go back and listen to some other conversations we've had because I think we've had some great guests and they've shared some great insights about their career journeys. Thanks so much. Uh, check us out next week.